Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Welfare, the running podcast with me, Amy Lane. Each week, I'm on a mission to share the tools, tips, and inspiring running stories to help you move through the world one run at a time. Today, I've got an interview for you that I actually recorded back in 2020. I had the intention of sharing this with you shortly after I got Shane Benzie, author of The Lost Art of Running, on the phone. But as the world went into flux and my life also, I wasn't able to bring you this show. So I'm so happy to finally be sharing it with you today, especially if you're one of the many runners feeling a little lost right now. Perhaps you're craving a race or a challenge, but you're nervous about training for an event that might be cancelled. Or perhaps after a year of just pounding the same route, both your body and mind are feeling a bit sore. Well, this show is for you. 10 years ago, Shane was a runner in need of guidance and an injury prevention plan. Today, He's a coach who's travelled the world researching how movement affects the potential of runners. He's worked with GB athletes, non-runners, blind runners and amputees. He believes that our movement is as unique as our fingerprint and in the Western world we have largely forgotten how to move. Much like many areas of health and wellness that are returning to their natural roots, Shane is spearheading a return to the natural art of running. Here's what he has to say about the lost art of running. Shane, are you there? Welcome to Far. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Very well. So Shane, you've worked in extreme environments, studying and helping runners all over the world. You've been to the African Highlands, the Amazon, the Himalayas, the Arctic. It's <laughs> documented all in your new book. What kick-started this journey? Well, so for myself as a runner, so I was a, an ultra runner and, and still am an ultra runner, which uh, means I kind of an ultra is anything longer than a marathon. So I do kind of 100 milers and, and long distances. And I, I kind of had two problems, which I think uh, a lot of runners kind of have. And that was that I was constantly getting injured and also not really getting any faster, not really getting any quicker. And so I kind of uh, went on this journey really for myself at first to try and find a better way for me to move. And then that journey ended up taking me quite literally around the world to many different environments, trying to study how people move and, and what's a better way to run, I guess. Do you remember the moment that started all of that? Did you read something somewhere about a certain tribe of runners or group of runners and you were like, why aren't they getting injured? And I am. (laughs) So basically, (laughs) I went out to America to become a running coach because on my journey of finding a better way to run, I kind of really, really got engrossed in it and, and found it absolutely fascinating. And so I went out to America to become a running coach because I decided that's what I really wanted to do. I came back and started to coach. 
but really there were some kind of really big gaps in in my knowledge and i'd always i'd always heard about the east africans as being amazing runners so i thought you know what i'm just going to down tools and i'm going to go out and i'm going to study their movement i'm going to go and live with them in the training camps and understand how they move and that really kind of kick-started the, the whole journey i guess so you're basically an all or nothing guy because most people go to a physio. <laughs> well, well uh, listen, I went to see many physios, I could assure you, and, uh, and chiropractors and all, all sorts of people. But, you know, they were fixing me, but I was just then going back out and breaking myself again. So I had to kind of do something that kind of sort of uh, changed that cycle of events, I suppose. I think in the 2020 world, we're all a bit guilty of that. We always try and um, treat the symptoms rather than the problem, don't we? We just we just want quick fixes, no matter what it is. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's the society we live in. I guess what we don't want to do is to take a few months to change the way we move and invest in our movement. Yeah, do we just want to have a, a half an hour of somebody doing something for us that, that will fix us? You're absolutely yeah. right. And so let's talk about those runners that you met. Why why could these runners many miles away improve the technique of UK runners? Because obviously they, they must have been doing something so different to what we're doing here in the UK to, to not be getting injured and to be running much faster. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, what I, what I soon realised was is that they hadn't discovered something new. They just kind of never forgot how. I think for us in the in the modern day world, we live a very different life. And so therefore, we move very differently. So what I quickly realized in my research, because really I'm a researcher as much as I am a coach, what I very quickly realized was that if we move the way a human is designed to move, that by default makes us a good athlete. And so that that was really, I guess, the, yeah, the catalyst into, into my research and the start of it was understanding that actually if you move the way a human is designed to move, you load the body correctly and you will also get better performance from that body. Interesting. So what does moving like a human is designed to move actually mean? So, <laughs> so, good question. so I think if you, if you look at how humans have evolved, around about six million years ago, we would have been very strong and we would have been what we would call quadrupeds. So we would have been moving around on all fours, a little bit like a chimpanzee. So if you think about a chimpanzee and as we evolved, we actually kind of moved away from that very muscular, very strong quadruped approach. And we developed a very, very clever foot and we started to stand up tall to create an elastic body, if you like. And that made us far more efficient. So this very clever foot and this elastic tall body that we created allowed us to cover much wider areas, catch more food, get bigger brains. And we've kind of developed from there. But what's, what's absolutely fascinating is, is that now when we try and do something dynamic, we actually really think about using our muscles to create that dynamic movement. But we actually gave them away six million years ago. This amazing elastic system and this very clever foot that we have, we kind of largely ignore. So it's really dialing back into that, understanding what was our amazing USP as a human as we developed and tapping back into that to help us to run. So is that because runners often now focus on different parts of the body as opposed to really thinking about their feet? I think as we as we grow up, our movement is explained to us generally by something called biomechanics. And so our 
understanding of biomechanics, I think tends to take us down the, the road of thinking of the skeleton as being the kind of main structure of the body and that the body is a structure and everything kind of hangs off of the skeleton. It protects our vital organs. And when we move, this kind of skeleton acts as a series of levers powered by the muscles, you know, because that's kind of how our movement is explained to us. Whereas actually, I see the body as just one continuous thing. And so you can't just move your leg and it not affect the rest of your body. Really, the toes on your left, right foot are connected to the fingers on your left hand. Everything is connected to everything. And we do have a very clever foot within that kind of network, but it's really thinking about moving, using the body as a whole, rather than as being feeling slightly more mechanical about our movements. And how as runners do we start to do that? So you must have landed in these amazing situations and seen that people were moving differently. And then how did you start to take on board what you'd spotted, what other people were doing in these amazing places where they were running more naturally and then put that into your own running? I remember the very, very first time I kind of downed tools and went out to Africa. I went out to Ethiopia. And I'd heard of a very good coach out there who was doing amazing things with, with young runners. And he brought through the ranks people like Tiranesh de Barber and Bekele, who are, who are, you know, world record holders. And he was taking them from very young people and, and coaching them. And I, I traveled out to the Rift Valley and I remember getting there really late, late at night. It was a, you know, like a two day journey really to get out there. I got up very early in the morning and I went down to the running track, which is essentially a dirt, a dirt running track really and it was about six o'clock in the morning and it was high altitude so it was very cold and it was a foggy morning and I just got down to the running track and there was one person on the track it was a lady running around the track on her own just just training and I just remember seeing her and thinking wow what is I what is that I don't know what that is but it's amazing she just looked very synergistic and fluid and connected and elastic almost in her movement it was unbelievable. I hadn't seen really anything like it up close. And I ended up staying there a month and just sort of doing lots of video analysis and, and really trying to understand what it was. Of course, the runners and the coaches couldn't really tell me because they, you know, they didn't really think of it in, that, in a science way. So I came back from that journey and really put my researcher's hat on, if you like. What I identified as the thing that was creating this elegant kind of elastic fluid movement is our fascial system, our elastic system. So my work really has been about better understanding that to try and learn how to kind of tap into it. Because I think if you're going to move in a way where you want to accentuate something, you kind of have to first understand what it is. Because I've heard that you are this expert in fascia. Should we just start by talking about what exactly is fascia? I know you've mentioned it's all to do with the elastic system, but I know there's going to be plenty of um, women and listeners right now going, what on earth is that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, listen, we don't need to get too technical about it to get excited about it. So your fascial system is essentially the kind of elastic system that creates the sea of tension that your body sits in. So remember I was saying about we kind of think of the skeleton as this the main structure of the body. Yeah. Well, actually, in reality, your skeleton is made up of give or take 206 bones. Okay. Now, if you just close your eyes and just imagine your skeleton floating in the air, and if you zoomed in on your skeleton, you would actually see that no bone touches another bone in your skeleton. It's 206 bones essentially floating. 
And they're floating in a sea of tension created by your elastic system. So that's tendons and ligaments, and then something called myofascia. So basically your skeleton is just floating around in a sea of elasticity. Every single bone in your body sits in its own little elastic trampoline of elasticity. So we're not this heavy, clunky structure. So fascia is essentially a connective elastic tissue that runs all the way through your body. It coats your muscles. It creates this sea of tension that your skeleton floats in. So it's an amazing system. But, you know, we don't really know that we have it. But because our skeleton floats in this sea of elasticity, if we start to stand tall and get height in our body, we start to then load that elastic system. And that starts to make a big, big difference as to how we move. I'm envisioning it a bit like Spider-Man's web. Yes. Well, do you know, it has a very web-like structure to that. It absolutely does. Um, I actually use a, a child's toy, a, a, a tensegrity model, which is a small child's toy, which is essentially a number of wooden dowels that are connected to each other by pieces of elastic, and it kind of creates its own, own sea of tension, if you like. It's an amazing system. And, you know, we really don't learn about it. Um, And I think what's so exciting about it, what gets me really excited and what should get your listeners really excited about it is that this elastic system in your body has a life cycle of around about seven months. So it's never more than seven months old. It's always re-architecting and rejuvenating itself. So, you know, sometimes I think when we're looking to do something new um, and we think, oh, well, I didn't do it when I was younger. I, you know, I don't have the muscle memory and I just, I, you know, I'm just, I just can't do that. Actually, in seven months time, the system that is holding you upright and creates this amazing elastic sea of tension that your skeleton floats in will have completely re-architected itself. That's fascinating. Oh, it's too good. It's and and you know if if in seven months' time you would have a brand new elastic system, but if you don't change your movement patterns, the elastic system will be new, but will just do the same job. But actually, if you start to change your movement patterns, it will adapt to help you to do what you want to do. So I kind of think of it as Darwinian fitness. So we think a lot about cardiovascular fitness, our engine, and and, and being fit. But actually, what I call Darwinian fitness is the body's ability to adapt to the task that you want it to do. And and that's kind of what training is. But I think we're all or many of us are running around just trying to, to build up our engine rather than thinking about the way that we move. If we move what I would call beautifully, we really quickly adapt a body that's very good at moving beautifully. And so how do we all move a bit more beautifully? Because I think for a lot of runners that are listening in, especially everyday runners, Hmm. I think we are maybe less concerned with what we look like and more concerned a lot of the time with how far or how fast we go. But what you're saying is we can go further and we can get faster potentially if we move more beautifully. So how do we move more beautifully? Wow. Okay. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. We all, you know, there are lots of apps these days and we have lots of ways of being able to understand how far we're running and how fast we're going. And I think, you know, that can be very motivating. But I think rather, yeah, rather than running 10 miles badly, we're better off running five miles with good form because mm. we increase our fitness and we're going to increase our body's ability to kind of carry out that task and that you're a lot less likely to get injured when you're doing that. So it's really, I think for the, 
the big thing we, when we run, and, and a lot of your listeners, I think, will will kind of, especially if they video themselves, and, and that's oh, God. <laughs> no, it can be both enlightening and scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so we we all have we many we, we none of us kind of run I guess with bad form on purpose do we we all assume that we're doing pretty well um, otherwise we wouldn't move in that way but you know everybody has it, all of these devices that have apps on them that are, mean you can track your speed and and distance they all allow you to video as well and what I would really try and get your listeners to do, inspire them to do, is kind of buddying up with somebody and videoing each other and kind of looking at that together will be extremely enlightening, okay? And then once you can see yourself move, you can then start to, to understand how you can make some changes. Start to load that elastic system to create that beautiful sea of tension that your kind of skeleton is floating in. So that means getting height into the body. So running with a, essentially a lengthened spine and really getting that head up with your eye line up on the horizon. I think a lot of us are guilty, and I know I certainly was, of, of running kind of bending from the waist in a slightly slouch position with the head forward. Mm. Um, do you know the human head weighs, give or take, 12 pounds, Okay, or five kilos if if we're if we're going metric. That's when it's on top of the body with kind of good equilibrium. That's what it weighs, twelve pounds. For every inch forward your head comes, it weighs another ten pounds. So if you're running around with your eyes just fixed on the pavement or the grass in front of you, three inches down, your head has quadrupled in weight. Gosh, that must add such a toll to your body oh, because... Absolutely. I mean, if you imagine if you were going to go out for a park run or just go out for a fun run or a 10K and somebody came up behind you and put a backpack on you with 42 pounds in it, you'd mm. have something to say. It's like doing the run with a small child or a large dog on your back. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so just by getting the head up and the eye line on the horizon, is going to take a load of weight off the body. You're a lot less likely to then stoop forward because the moment we start to bend forward from the waist, we lose this elastic system in our body. And you know, this elastic system that helps to propel us, it wants no oxygen. It doesn't want any calories. It doesn't produce lactic acid. It's kind of a free energy source to a large degree where if we don't have good posture and we have to use our muscles more to propel ourselves, they want oxygen, calories, produce lactic acid. You know, they're very greedy, our muscles, because we gave them away six million years ago. So we're not really designed to move that much just using our muscles. Looking up and looking into the distance is such a good cue. Have you got any other posture tips for like like, could we work down the body? Is there any other things that runners should be looking out for to make sure that we are running in such a way where we can chase down Kipchoge? <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> but actually, he taps into these things amazingly well. So, well, actually, let's let's so let's think about them. Let's start from the body moving up. So, if we do it in sequence, that might mm. easier for you for for your listeners to remember. So, so one of the big things uh, I think about runners is that we're actually scared of the ground. Yeah, we have a, I think, a pretty adversarial relationship with the ground because we blame the ground for impact and we blame impact for our injuries. Mm. Um, 
And so I think, you know, certainly with a lot of runners, and I mean, I, I do work with world record holders, but I also work with complete beginners as well. So I work with all runners of all uh, abilities. And I think when I first start working with runners, you know, they, they almost trying to move over the ground and not touch it, you know, to try and run as lightly over the ground as you possibly can. Because there's this kind of urban myth that that will reduce the impact and will, will mean that you don't get injured. But actually, in an attempt to not create too much impact, what we do is we kind of suck ourselves down to the ground almost so that we don't think we're going to be too bouncy and make and create too much impact. That actually means we end up running essentially with a walking gait, which means we're kind of landing on a heel on a relatively straight leg. That impact then comes back from the ground and that, that can potentially hurt you because that impact isn't dissipated correctly. And it's about two and a half times your body weight coming back at you when your foot lands on the ground as a runner. But that foot making contact with the ground has the ability to create a load of elastic energy, which throws you forward. So we want to make sure that we have a, a good contact with the ground. So what I want your, your, your listeners to try and think about is that, so when they push off and go into the air during their stride, when their foot lands, we're trying to think about having what I would call a tripod landing. So the foot coming down, so the heel comes down at the same time as the ball of the foot. So the foot is coming down with a full foot landing. So not on the heel and also not on the ball of the foot not on the forefoot, the whole of the foot coming down together. And how does that differ from like forefoot striking and those type of things which we're more used to hearing about? So with my research and taking, I guess, a very anthropological view of a, of a runner, so going back to how we were designed to move, remember I said when we gave away muscle um, to the chimpanzees six million years ago, we developed a very clever foot. And, and stood tall. So to, to learn how to get the best from the foot as a runner, we really need to understand the foot. And so if you land the foot with this flat landing or full landing or tripod landing, as I like to call it, what that does is that creates huge amounts of stability. So we use tripods to create st st stability, don't we? When I coach, I put my iPad on a tripod. So mm -hmm. landing with this full foot gives you um, a very stable landing. Also, on the bottom of your foot, you've got a quarter of a million nerve endings. You've got more nerves in your feet than you have your hand. And that foot landing, those quarter of a million nerve endings are going to send loads of really exciting information up into your body, telling you how hard you hit the ground, what the ground felt like. It gives you your spatial awareness. And it also gives you your perceived rate of exertion, how hard you're pushing off, how hard you're trying. So you need to absolutely maximize those nerve endings making contact with the ground. If you land on your heel or if you land on your forefoot, you're really not using as many of those nerve, en nerve endings as you should. That full foot landing means that you all of the nerve endings work and send really exciting information up into the body. Also, your foot is actually the arch of the foot in, and the way the foot is shaped means that the foot is essentially a half dome. It's shaped like a half dome. If you land the foot correctly in with that half dome, that means the dome dissipates that impact out when you hit the ground. If you land on your heel or if you land on your forefoot, you don't dissipate that impact out. You don't spread it. It just comes back to potentially hurt you and definitely slow you down. 
And we also have this beautiful piece of elastic on the bottom of the foot called the plantar fascia. Many people will have heard of plantar fasciitis and will be like wincing now, but actually the plantar fascia is a beautiful thing. It's a great big piece of elastic on the bottom of the foot. If you land that foot with a full foot landing, that creates a load of spring in the foot as well. If you land on the heel or the ball of the foot, you don't really get that. So landing that full foot gives you lots of stability, lots of information from the foot and lots of elasticity, and it spreads the impact. So that's why we would want to go for that landing rather than the heel or the ball of the foot. Interesting. And then what's the next thing as we work up the body? So the next thing we want to do, think about is, is this running tall thing? Okay. So if I can give you a visualization for this is just imagine you've got a line running from your, so it starts at your uh, belly button and it goes up through the torso, through the chest, underneath the chin and up through the face to the top of the head. So you've eventually got a very straight line running from your, from your navel, your belly button, up through the chest to the top of your head. Now, if you imagine when you're running, if you just put a, a little, what I call a bow in that line. So you just open up that line slightly, just open up the chest area, just to create a little bit of a bow in that line. What that does is that gets you nice and tall. And it also gets gravity onto your side as well, because we kind of want to use gravity to help us move. Gravity is definitely for free. So Mm -hmm. by getting that center line, thinking about being nice and tall, and then just opening up that bow in that center line, that increases the surface area of your elastic system, and it gets you into a good gravity situation as well. So you're kind of almost falling forward. That immediately helps you drop your shoulders as well, doesn't it? That uh, often up around our ears in modern day world. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's very, uh, very apt actually because this sea of tension that we run around in is only ever created in our everyday movement. And of course, for many of us now, that everyday movement is being stuck in front of a screen in a very peculiar position. So these 206 bones that are floating around in this sea of elasticity, that sea of elasticity is actually created when you're sat, sat down for nine hours a day or whatever, if, you, if, if that's what you're doing, definitely. So, and so the shoulders actually come into the next thing that I would talk about, and that's your arm movement. Okay. Your arms are incredibly important when you run. They're so dominant over your legs. They really are. Your very clever arms, hands and arms, tell your legs what to do to a large degree. So when you're running, we're thinking about landing on that tripod landing. We're thinking about having that beautiful center line with the bow in it. Then we think with our arms, you're thinking about a dynamic movement to the rear with your arms. So your elbows are doing the work and they are driving backwards. Okay, so we don't really have the arms come out in front of us. Everything is to the rear with the arms. And that actually helps to put you in that bow type position. So beautifully relaxed shoulders and the elbows driving back. And then I would finish with the head, that head with the eye line on the horizon, dropping the eye line every now and again, of course, to see what's coming up because you don't want to fall over. If the head is up, you're going to see whatever you're going to fall over long before you get to it. And you'll kind of track it and uh, see it as it comes. And that way, the head is the last link in that elastic chain because those lines of elasticity go up into the skull. It also makes the the head very light. And actually, as well, for your runners, your inner ear, your vestibular area, 
the inner ear, that's where a lot of your balance and spatial awareness comes from. Well, that all works better if the head is up with the eye line on the horizon, because that's how a human was designed to be. We were designed to be looking around for food and not being food. So if we're running around with our head down, it actually creates an imbalance in our body from the point of view of understanding where we are and how balanced we feel. Oh, do you know what? I've run a couple of marathons and I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've had, I have had a bit of coaching and I do remember at certain times during the marathons when it got really tough and I checked in with myself and how I was running and I was definitely creeping into that kind of like hunched over, almost mm. like head veering towards the floor and then managed to pull it back and really focus on my form and how much not easier it felt because I feel like nothing's easy after tw- mile 21 on a marathon. Um, but just how much I wasn't hating my life so much. Have you done any <laughs> in your research? Have you, have you got any stats about how much form plays into how much more of an efficient runner you are or? Well, I mean, yeah, and everybody asks that. And, and as soon as you start to coach somebody or if somebody rings me and says, hey, you know, I want some coaching. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a marathon time at this at the moment. You know, what will coaching take you? Or how much will I improve? It, I mean, it, it's how long is a piece of thing? You know, every, different people, depending on where you're coming from and going to, you know, it, it makes a big difference. But what what I can absolutely tell you that from a performance point of view, is that if you move well, you're basically telling your body it doesn't need as much oxygen because gravity and elasticity are for free from an oxygen point of view. You don't need so much oxygen in in any way. And actually moving better with more spring and a, a better foot contact and the foot leaving better actually creates more speed because it allows you to have a, a longer stride. So there's no particular stat you could say, well, if you do this, you'll be sort of 15, 20% more efficient. But when I'm working with runners, it's incredible how their horizons change as they start to move better because the toll on the body is a lot less. The performance can just go on and on. And I work with lots of different runners, but I'm working with a runner at the moment called Damien Hall. And Damien is about 45 years old, I think. And he just gets faster and stronger every year. He's just done the FKT, the fastest known time for the Pennine Way. And yeah, he just, you know, every year he gets a year older, but he gets uh, a year stronger and a year, a year quicker as well. So, and because this, because we're, the body's constantly re-architecting and rejuvenating itself, you know, it really doesn't matter what our age is. You know, it's, it's not it really, running really isn't just a young person's game at all. And so we can get quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker and more efficient and more efficient as we get better at the skill. Because that's what running is, is a movement skill. It's a sequence of beautiful movements that propels your body. It's interesting that I feel like only now is that conversation opening up for the everyday runner because it's existed in the past couple of years in the, you know, the strength training world as as women have learned more about the benefits of strength training, but like know about doing quality over quantity. And it's there, it's evident in the yoga world where we we definitely talk about being in the the right posture as opposed to forcing your body into places but i think within the running world it's always been quite basic in like the mass consumer kind of information market and it's all just literally been about getting faster or nailing a marathon but actually this piece in the middle about how you actually do that seems to have got lost or just not spoken about 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. Everything has just been for, for the elite runners. And, and it was only really elite runners that would think, right, okay, how do I move? How do I make those kind of marginal gains? But it doesn't matter who I'm working, whether it's a complete first time runner or a world record holder. You know, I'm, I, I look at running as a, as a movement skill and I would treat it the same as, as yoga, as martial arts, as ballet, as a movement skill and one that you can practice and get better and better and better at. And you know, th- what, what's fascinating about my work is, is that every one of your, your listeners that's listening, their movement is like their fingerprint. It's different to anybody else's on the planet. It comes with its own idiosyncrasies and its own contraindications. We all move slightly different from, le- from each other. But just because you're not trying to break a world record or, or, put, or, or put a great vest on or, or what, you know, represent your country, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get as excited about your movement as they do. And, and I think that's really, really exciting for everybody. The body's changing at a massive rate of not constantly, even if you just want to run for fun. And that's actually the best reason to run, I think, actually, is that you, yeah, you, you go out and you, you, you treat it like a skill. Yes, you're getting fit. You know, it's good for the skin. It's good for the health, good for the mental health. But you're also learning a skill as well. Like you mentioned yoga. If you go to a yoga class, you want to come out of that yoga class, I think, slightly better than when you went in. You've practiced that skill. You, you feel as though you're making progress with it. Why wouldn't we look at, at running in the same way? Um, that's what I'm working really, really hard to do is to get people thinking of it in that way. And it's, yeah, it's working, I think. It definitely is. And so I've got a question related to individual fingerprints. Hmm. Should we be trying to work with our own individual fingerprint or say if we run like Phoebe from Friends or we have a knee that rolls in, is it a case of that we're trying to override our current movement to create a better movement? Or is it a case of that we work with our current movement and we don't try and make it into this one uniform movement? So no, it's a good question. And so I would say that there is a way that we should run, that we should all aspire to run from the point of view of how we land our foot, what we do with our arms, the posture that we would get, the, the head position. You know, there is a good way for a, for a human to run, but we are all incredibly different. So I think to answer your question, we are all working with what we've got and we then will then aspire to move in the best way that we possibly can. So if someone has a knee that turns in or, you know, a, a joint that doesn't work quite well or, or any kind of contraindication in the body that makes them think, well, I can't run like an African, so there is no point. Absolutely not. It is taking your movement and treating it like a, like a skill and, and trying to get it moving as, as best you can you know, to, to the way a, a kind of a, a human is designed to move. But we get as close to that as we can. Not everybody in a yoga class is of the same ability, are they? Because some people are doing some extraordinary things and some people aren't anywhere near that. But, you know, the person at the front of the class is doing extraordinary things. May have been doing it for seven, eight, nine, ten years. Mm-hmm. The person at the back of the class, maybe their second lesson. And the running is the same. If you start to think about your movement, your horizons will broaden incredibly because what's not possible today very quickly becomes possible you know you've just got to adapt your body to it and that means just little and often you know you know in a very relaxed way running should be about thinking about it and and enjoying it as a skill so really to answer the question we go with what we've got and we try and make the the most beautiful movement from that and, and take a fascination in that 
I love that. One of the areas, Shane, that I know does cause a bit of tension slash sticky points within running for you is treadmill running. And I know that you've said it's because it produces an unnatural running environment. And then we're all running in these unnatural running environments. And it's why you take all of your training outside. But we do live in a world right now where treadmill running is a big thing. There's treadmill classes or there were treadmill classes popping up all over the place before COVID. And many women do like to use a treadmill either in a gym session or they use it to train on because it helps them feel safe. Is there any way of using a treadmill within your training plan in a way that it doesn't create an unnatural movement for the body? Or is it just a case of that they do create these unnatural environments and it is just going to affect how you run. Sure. So so the first thing I would say is there is no bad running. You know, running on a treadmill is not a bad thing at all. You know, all running is good and we I think we should all run. And if and if a treadmill is your way of running, then absolutely do it. You know, and dark nights and things like that, it's you know, sometimes it's it's better to be on a treadmill. So the reason I don't analyze movement or coach on a treadmill is, is because you do move differently on a treadmill than you do on terra firma on the ground. But that doesn't mean to say that you can't do your training and some of your running on a treadmill at all. Absolutely. You know, you, you can do that. I think there's nothing better than getting outside and breathing the fresh air. And I think that's why most of us love running. But yeah. if it's the difference between running and not running, then you should definitely run on a treadmill without a doubt. And I think when you're on that treadmill, what you should be thinking about are the fundamentals that we kind of looked at with that foot landing and with that elegant pose, uh, with your center line, using the arms with a dynamic movement to the rear and that head in that good position. So if you try and stick to those fundamentals while you're running on the treadmill, that can only be good. People shouldn't be nervous about running on treadmills if, you know, if, if that's what their lifestyle dictate but think about those same fundamentals as you would if you were running outside do you know what i am i definitely used the treadmill in my last training cycle when i was doing a race and i was the person that went on the treadmill in front of the mirror not because i like in front of a mirror aren't they (laughs) (laughs) and i always went for the one with the best spot in front of the mirror and not because (laughs) i liked looking at myself or doing instagram videos although there was a lot of those but just because when i did find out about the posture cues i found that being in front of the mirror and seeing myself on the treadmill actually quite useful because I would notice when my shoulders rolled forwards rather than being back I would notice like my arms when they were swinging too far across my body where when you're running outside or you're doing speed work outside by yourself which is the reality for a lot of us you don't have that feedback (laughs) No, you, listen, you are, you are right. You, you are, yeah, for good or bad, you can constantly or very often see yourself. And, and that can be helpful. And, and without a doubt, it, you know, that's why I was saying earlier on, you know, if you buddy up with someone and you video each other, it's very enlightening as to, as to what you're doing. So, yeah, so it, it can be good to kind of see yourself because outside it's, like, it's shop windows and shadows, really, isn't it? That's the only way you can kind of see what you're doing. So, um, yeah, that can be helpful. You just, you've just got to get over seeing yourself for a good 30 minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. Some people love it, but for some people it's a trauma. <laughs> can we 
quickly move on to the rise of barefoot running and what are your thoughts on it? Because there seems to be this big barefoot running community versus the rest of the world who are all buying trainers for overpronation, underpronation or anything under the sun. And I'd love to know where you sit within that conversation and what you feel is is good for movement patterns. Yeah. Okay. So remember, we went back to the six million years ago when, you know, we kind of stood up tall and developed this very clever foot. That was our USP. That's what meant we populated the world. So I think for runners, you think of your foot as the interface between you and the ground. So when your foot lands, it's got some really, really big tasks to sort out for you. And we kind of talked about them earlier, stability, proprioception from that quarter of a million nerves, elasticity from the plantar fascia and dissipating that impact with that dome effect. Your foot is absolutely beautifully designed to do all of those things. There's no way, I don't think anybody can make something out of rubber, really, that can second guess the foot. Okay, I really don't think it can. So I think what we need from a pair of trainers is something that we can put on that will allow the foot to do its ingenious work, but protect the foot from the environment, but at the same time, help the foot relate to its environment. Okay, so if you were running on trail, you'd want a pair of trainers that were grippy in mud or grippy on rock. If you were running on track, you'd want trainers that allowed you to interact with the track. Well, if it was road, then uh, to interact with the road. So the trainers shouldn't try and give you any bounce because your foot has loads of that. The trainers shouldn't try and create any cushioning because your foot's very good at that by dissipating the impact. And remember, impact turns into elastic energy, which throws you forward. So we wouldn't really, I think, want to interfere with the ingenious foot. We just want to allow it to be protected from the environment so that stones don't hurt our feet and um, allow us to, to, to move through that environment, whether it's mud, etc. So really, I don't think we should be running around in super minimalist footwear because we, we didn't grow up like that. Obviously, you know, I, I go and live with lots of tribes and indigenous people as part of my work in jungles and in mountains and all over the world. And many of them will be in bare feet, but actually they've grown up in bare feet. You know, we didn't. So we do need some footwear. OK, so I think the next time you go out to buy a pair of trainers, you want to buy a pair of trainers. But I guess I guess what we would call neutral in as much as they will allow the foot to do its work. You want a very wide toe cap on the on the trainer, because when your foot lands, it wants to splay spread out by about 15 percent. So a wide toe cap, enough rubber underneath the foot to protect the foot from getting bruised and, you know, and stones and stuff. Um, but at the same time, not so much rubber that we can't feel the ground. So, yeah, I think really barefoot running, I'm not sure what that is. I think it, whether it's a style of running or whether it's a status of your footwear, you know, I think you can run beautifully in a pair of wellies or really, or really badly in a pair of 250-pound trainers. I, we, I don't think we should be governed by the footwear to tell them how to run. So learn to use that ingenious foot well and then protect it from the environment and allow it to interact with its environment with the trainers. So most people don't overpronate or supinate. You know, most people will, will move neutrally if they actually land on a tripod landing. 
if you land on a heel, which is what you would call a loose adapter, so the foot rocks and rolls, that's often when we have a lot of problems. So what we should be doing is making sure we land the foot well rather than trying to buy a pair of trainers that will get us to do it because they can't. It's impossible. Makes so much sense. Oh, I can't believe we're running out of time. Shane, it's been amazing talking to you. Can I ask you to leave the listeners with one one thing or piece of advice that they could all be doing to move better this autumn? Okay. And I think really almost where we started, get height in that body, stand tall, with a, feeling with a nice length and spine, and get that head up on top of the body. You'd certainly do that when you're running and actually in your everyday life. See if you can get a standing desk. See if you can actually spend some of your day standing because that's actually probably the biggest investment you can make into your dynamic movement is getting your everyday movement more beautiful. I'm feeling pretty chuffed with myself because I did at the start of lockdown get myself an at-home standing desk. Amazing. Brilliant. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I've done a tick. <laughs> Shane, thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your years of experience and research with us. It's honestly fascinating. And it's so nice to hear about how we can or improve our running without pushing ourselves harder because I think that has been the conversation for so many years or at least the one which I've listened into so to listen into ourselves a bit more to improve what we're doing just feels so much kinder yeah less is less is definitely more so Shane where else can they catch up with you and potentially get in touch to book some coaching or just to find out more so I have a website, so it's Running Reborn. So I do one-to-one coaching, I do groups, but I also do a huge amount of online coaching as well. I literally coach runners on six continents where they send me video of themselves running um, and I kind of critique that, load it down onto software and then have sort of Zoom or, or Skype sessions, which seems to be the way of the world now, mm. discuss that person's movement and slow it down and have a really good look at it. So, yeah, I do that with people all over the world. So there's, there's three different ways there. And, and, yeah, of course, the book that will talk about the journey and all of the, the things we're talking about, foot landing and arm swing and head position and posture and fascia, they're all in there as well with some thoughts behind it. So, yeah, there's a num- number of ways. So, but if anybody's just got any questions, you know, more than more than happy to answer. So those questions if they just want to shoot me an email from the website no problem at all amazing so guys if you're feeling a bit bummed out because your race has been cancelled or postponed why not use this time now to really focus on your form and swat up on all the things that you can be doing to make it feel a bit easier and nicer and if you do put Shane's tips into practice this week do tag us both on Instagram and use the hashtag welfare I would love to see thanks everyone and thanks Shane Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you found some of this advice helpful. And remember, if you do like the podcast, then please rate, review and subscribe. It really helps other runners find us. Plus, you can also keep up to date with other runners in our virtual crew by using the hashtag Welfare on Instagram and by joining the new Welfare Club on Strava. I look at all your posts and updates and it absolutely makes my day.